even when I was a little kid, I was always told I acted like an old man. I just didn't want to be bothered. I just did my own thing. I got up super early, went to bed on time. I was super organized. I was just this grumpy old man. Once I got to high school, it wasn't any different. I didn't really care to go to parties or school football games and all that stuff didn't interest me. I was more concerned about my art is real and, and want to start this thing and, and, and figure out how I could curate art shows. And it's kind of what led to me curating my first show at 18 because I had already been trying to get that done for the past two years while I was trying to finish high school. I was already working toward that goal. Today's guest felt a similar way. He felt older beyond his years. He was just ready to grow up, start his career, get to work, and start making his dreams happen. But where he would end up was far from what he had dreamed of. This is the Myers Real Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson, and this is episode 17, Sean. Right after the break. This episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Bazaar Art Prize. If you are an artist, now is the time to enter the contest and showcase your work on their international platform and have a chance to win $50,000 in prize money. You have until midnight on July 17th, LA time to enter the contest. To enter and find all the information, go to beautifulbazaarartprize.art. If you enjoy the podcast and want even more content while supporting us, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash real and sign up today for only $3 a month. That's less than one cent a day. Thank you for your support and enjoy the episode. Uh, my name is Sean Hamilton. Uh, I'm from uh, Priest River, Idaho, and uh, I'm a painter. Sean grew up in a small town in Idaho out in the country and was not really exposed to much art and culture. What was the town like that you grew up in? Pretty rural, man. You know, there's this a, a huge uh, break with serious reality where it was, um, you know, a, a community that was kind of dependent on the on the timber industry, which is, you know, in, inherently dependent on the economy at large. So, so it, it was, it was within society, but that's part of the, the country where a lot of people go to escape society and a lot of people go to escape government <laughs> as well. It's very free out there, but it's very territorial too. So, you know, it's a, it's a big gun state and especially in the North, it's a, that's a huge part of the culture there. So hunting and fishing and being outdoors in general, it was a, it was a big part of my life growing up, which is good. Yeah, growing up there was tough, you know, too, because you were uh, you you see some some amount of of small bits of wealth here and there, but then like pretty pretty serious poverty, you know, as well. Where it's yeah, I mean, you're, you're dependent on on logging, so it's you know it can be up and then it can be down, but um, not a lot of education either. So I think that. The graduation rate at my high school was like, it was like ten percent or something like that. It's nuts, you know, because most people just kind of followed in their in their father's footsteps. Uh, I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a family that uh, really encouraged education and encouraged, you know, dreams. I think and something more. No matter where you are, no matter where you're from, there are pros and cons to living there. 
one of the pros to growing up in a smaller, more rural area like Sean and even myself is that you have more freedom, freedom to just go outside into the woods or the fields and explore and mess around and enjoy the peace and quiet of nature. What kind of stuff did you get into growing up? What kind of stuff was I into? Um, dirt bikes. I really love dirt bikes. Um, every summer we would we'd do 4-H, so we would uh, raise a sheep for a summer, you know, and the the draw behind that was you raise a sheep for a summer and you walk it, you feed it, you, you know, groom it, you know, shear it and all this shit. And then you, and then you, you sell it at the end, you know, at the fair for like 300 bucks or something like that. And that was big money. That was big money. And I was like, man, I'm going to go try it buy a, a drum set or I'm going to go buy, you know, a motorcycle with that. Little do you know, as a kid, you're selling your sheep to slaughter. So it's like this, <laughs> this, this animal that you raise and you built this connection with. And then at the end of the summer, you know, you suddenly were like, oh, money talks. You're like, bye. It's just like, geez, that's pretty, pretty brutal. So I think, uh, you know, th- there's that. I think growing up, I was, I'd come home from school and, and go, we had a, a river that ran through our property. So I'd go fly fishing quite a bit. A lot of solitude out there. You know, we lived on close to 200 acres out there. So, you know, I'd get home from school and honestly, my dad put me to work. So I was either picking up rocks or, or driving a front end loader around and, you know, moving dirt or picking up rocks and doing all this stuff and, you know, building a dirt bike track. It's like, if you want this, you got to build it yourself. So well, I'll teach you how to do it, but, you know, you do it. So there's no easy ways to do anything, you know, in that country. So, just okay so a lot of my after school time was outside sean went to a christian school growing up that was pretty small so you kind of knew all the same kids your entire life all the normal teenage drama and cliques didn't really matter that much to him either he just wanted to spend his time working to make money and focusing on whatever sparked his interest whether that be trying to work on cars and wanting to build hot rods or drawing and trying to make some kind of art or designs or hell even working on tractors to try to build a dirt bike track he was just ready to speed up his life and get out of high school as soon as possible junior and senior year of, of high school i i uh, just homeschooled myself and was working for my dad too so I did my own schooling and then worked for my dad at the second part of the day and gave myself my own grades <laughs> and, and I ended up getting a, a pretty good scholarship based on that. I don't know how like honest those grades were, but got me in with a pretty good scholarship. So, <laughs> so you were a l- legit like. So did you legit leave the school and was like homeschooled? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd, I'd do my schoolwork at home just by myself, and then and then go to work, you know, and go to work for my dad. So, was- <laughs> and you had nobody like. Your mom or your dad weren't looking at this stuff and be like, okay, this is your grade or anything. It was just you saying, okay, I did it. I'd have to, I'd have to bring it into the actual school every once in a while. But I think they were so like fed up with me anyway, that they were like, yeah, buddy, this is, this is fine. You're doing great. (laughs) I was like, sure. Okay. So it's a lot of fun. I was just over school already. I was just, you know, I, I wanted to work. I wanted to start my career. Um, so I just, I just did that and, and, 
you know, that was kind of a weird couple of years where like I felt like an adult, but I was still living at home. And and both my sisters had already gone on to college. So it was me and my parents at home. They were probably so fed up with me that that decision that I made, a big decision to homeschool myself was like, yeah, hell yeah, go ahead, man. Do whatever you need to do. (laughs) And like most people out in the middle of the country, he had dreams of moving away to a bigger city. I hated how limited it was. You know, you you live in one spot for a while and and you you realize how how small it can be. And and, uh, just there there wasn't a ton of ambition there from anybody. I could see the, the pathway for a lot of these you know, kids I was hanging out with, it's like, you do this, you, you get on your dad's company and, and then you start, you know, driving truck, you know, and, and there's, there's a part of me that was like, it sounds honest. It sounds good. You know, I, I kind of want to do that, but you know, my parents are like, no, you're not doing that, buddy. You're going to school. <laughs> so I, I just, I think being in such a rural place, you're, you're just thirsty for any sort of society or any sort of culture. So around that time, you know, end of high school, I was just soaking up anything I could from be it music or maybe a little bit of art, mainly music back then. Um, and just having this like really concentrated period of my life where like, let's, let's toss all this teen angst into it. Let's toss all this, like, let's, let's get into punk. Let's get into like metal. Let's get into, you know, all this stuff. And, and being pissed at my parents, I'm like, oh, what, what do we do? Yeah, I was just, I just needed, needed more. I think, you know, I needed more inspiration. I think at that time in my life. Did you know what you wanted to do in life? What was kind of your, I guess, your dream or your aspirations at that point? Yeah, I knew that, like, I was, you know, somewhat artistically inclined. So, um, and and why that? Why did you feel that way? I've been drawn for a long time early age i could always draw so you know it was i always i always saw the world from from a you know visual point of view like from a you know trying to solve problems visually i think and and i kind of had a knack for it so i didn't even know graphic design or design or really especially not contemporary art but i didn't know that visual side could be you know a pathway so once that was open up to me then i kind of headed in that direction and and around that time too it was kind of when i was getting into graffiti a little bit and then banksy was all was all of a sudden a big thing you know and and i liked the simplicity of his you know of his problem solving visually at the time i was like you know really obsessed with that so so i was like all right this is graphic design and and there's you know a major for it at at a college just do it but it was honestly i could have done anything it would have been fine and how are you actually exposed to art like that? How are you? How did you discover Banksy? Uh, I was, you know, those early days of the internet too. So it was like um, we were about an hour away from Spokane. That was a, that was like the biggest city. So Barnes and Noble was kind of a hub for like if you want to look at anything visual, you know, quickly. You have to drive about an hour away and, and do all this. So I think I got a Banksy book, and then you know I was looking up just graffiti on trains there, there was like a, a, a crazy database of just train car graph work and I, I was really into that and uh i never really pursued graph at all um but i think that kind of taught me how to 
draw a little bit more in more of a graphic way and starting to see kind of starting to see how how could get away with a message with very little detail you know very simple very quickly and i like that visual immediacy i think uh and that's kind of what drew, drew me to graphic design i think i think somebody was like yeah that's graphic design I was like oh okay I'll, i guess i'll do that <laughs> He then took what he describes as a very crappy portfolio of designs and applied to a school out in Seattle. I was applying for this scholarship at SPU, and I came over with like a manila envelope full of like printouts, just random stupid things that I had done. Just like, this is way pre-Photoshop, even as like Corel Draw. So it was like weird stencil stuff that I had done. And just, just to kind of show them that like I was serious about it. You know, looking back, that... That quote unquote body work was hilarious. <laughs> everybody's everybody's embarrassed by that. I don't think. And uh yeah, got into the program. I don't think that was actually for a scholarship. I, I think that was just entrance into the program itself. So uh yeah, randomly got into this program and and uh yeah, and then got set up for okay, there's a little bit more of a matriculated way of dealing with visual life. And then things kind of you know went from there. Now, finally out in Seattle, Sean was able to get that culture he had so desperately wanted. Seattle was like Mecca, man. It was like, holy shit, this is this is where music comes from. And this is where this is definitely post grunge, obviously, but like, you know, this is where, you know, people are are doing things here and I don't have to drive an hour for for some semblance of culture. You know, it's it's all right here and, and just the meeting of new people and um I think I was, you know, I made a decision kind of in high school that I was going to be likable. I was going to be someone that everybody could feel comfortable around. That helped me through high school and that helped me into college too. You know, making friends wasn't wasn't super hard. So it was, you know, coming into Seattle was was lovely. It's really nice. Now out in the big city and in college, his drive and work ethic didn't change much. He always felt a little more grown beyond his years and took things maybe a little too serious at times, always trying to push himself and itching to be into his career as a designer already. I was way too serious. You know, looking back, I have a couple of college friends that, that uh, recently reconnected with and and I've I realized, you know, in hindsight, I was way too serious about design and i think it was maybe a, a uh i need to prove myself a little bit and, and make sure that that visual arts can be a, a viable career you know and so man i was i was i was in it and i was really good too like i was you know it, it came really naturally to me i just took it super seriously um so my college experience was was half like already being grown up because I'd done a lot of my my growing up in high school, you know, I was already working. But then, you, then you go to college and you're like, man, we're in college, just chill out, loosen up. You're not in your career yet. So half of me was super serious, and half of me was like, I'm gonna have a high school experience that I, that I was that I never really had. I feel like there's a little bit of stunted growth, <laughs> I think, you know. So it's because because high school was such a weird experience and very unique that I never I didn't have that classic high school. So I, I kind of treated college a little bit like that. 
When I said Sean took design very seriously, I really mean it. He was extremely passionate about design and the big dreams of creating designs that would impact the world and change people's perspective of the things around them. And we all do this now. I was like, I shouldn't have put so much pressure on myself to, you know, excel in college, you know, that's what you know now. So, um, no, but I, I was really, you know, I wanted to be Sagmeister. I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do poster art and I wanted to do big design because, you know, they, they teach in design school that big design can change the world. Not really, but you know, it can change people's perceptions at a, you know, to a large degree. So, you know, I saw a little inkling of that and, and it was like, I wanted, I want to do big design stuff. Ended up doing that. I mean, ended up doing that after college, but I was fortunate to have, you know, SPUs. It's a very Christian school. So you have to deal with that. Um, but luckily the design program was, was, I got what I needed out of it. And it was, it was pretty solid. I, I had a few really good teachers there. Sean was always going, ready for the next stage of life. But life seemed to have different plans and would soon hit the brakes on Sean, leaving him broken. My senior year, um, that was that was a tough year. I, I got in a pretty pretty gnarly accident. And uh, I think I only had like two, two quarters left or something like that. And uh, ended up in the hospital for a few days. Um, kind of got... Got in a fight, drunk, got hit, hit the sidewalk, woke up, I think, five days later, you know, had to had to kind of learn a lot of things again. So it was, it was a really traumatic brain injury. So that, that you know, I had to, I had to get out of school for, for a little bit and uh, learn how to walk again. You know, learn how to really that really slow speech for a long time, and uh, you know, learn how to be alive again. I think you know, and, and just kind of after that, though, I recovered, you know, hundred percent, and then I was gung ho. Like I tried to tried to finish two quarters and in, in one quarter, and it was just obvious it wasn't going to happen. And at that time too, I'd, I had uh, I had already started an internship at a local um, ad agency here as a designer. So I'd already started my career, you know, and I was like, I don't need, I really need to finish school. So I never did. <laughs> my poor parents were like, come on, man. When that accident happened, how did it feel? How did you feel waking up? Um, it felt great, man. I was on a lot of drugs. <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was weird. You know, I lost the, uh, I lost a good portion of time, you know, so it's, it's talking to you is really therapeutic, but like, as far as remembering, you know, large chunks of childhood and stuff, because it's taken me a long time to, to remember large portions of, of my life. You know, some of that is gone. Um, and some of that is, you know, it's, it's affected me some, probably some, some, mood swings and and different byproducts that i probably wouldn't have but hell man it makes me me now and i can't you know i can't go back so it's what i'm dealing with and 
it was just brutal to see the people around me, you know, and, and really just hard to see them have to deal with it too. There's just so much love and support that, that came from everybody. And that's when it's, it's at that moment. So that's when people show up and are like, you know, no matter what. So, and it's still there. And how did you, how did you feel when you started to kind of recover and things like that? And you, I know you said you got gun ho and we're going to try to do two uh, quarters in one, but it wasn't working out. How did it feel? Did you feel kind of defeated? Yeah, I was frustrated as hell, you know, because I couldn't think fast enough. I couldn't, I couldn't talk fast enough. I couldn't move fast enough. You know, I was, I was pissed. Um, yeah, I was just, luckily I didn't, I didn't lose my visual acuity, you know, or, or anything like that, or that, that skill set still there yeah it was just i was just annoyed <laughs> mainly it's like come on man right now right when i'm about to start but it might have been the universe is telling me slow the fuck down man just just pump some brakes for a second and enjoy what you're doing and enjoy the people around you you know and i still have those moments too where i'm i'm going crazy and i'm going nuts and i'm, I'm going fast and you know, I have a lovely girlfriend who, who tells me, slow down, man. Just chill. It's going to happen regardless. This isn't the most important thing in your life. This isn't life or death. It's art. <laughs> so, Like Sean said, he was already interning at a design firm. So luckily, without finishing his degree, he was able to turn that internship into a full-time job. But while he was making his way into his career, his brain injury continued to affect his every day made even normal task a pain. How long do you think it, it took you to realize that, that you maybe just need to to slow down a bit? I don't think I realized that until, you know, pretty recently, you know, because I was fighting it. I was fighting it the whole time. I was fighting, you know, my limitations. And, and so I was, I was constantly like, if that hadn't happened, I would be at this place in my career, you know, and, and I was very, you know, strict and too hard on myself. Um, and I was still doing, doing really good work. You know, by that time I was got hired on as a designer at a cool agency here. And, um, but some of those byproducts, you know, would crop up in a, a corporate setting, um, uh, you know, or, you know, under, under pressure and have this stress that wouldn't go away and, you know, and some panic attacks and stuff like that, that, you know, isn't, especially then too, that was probably, you know, 10, 12 years ago. It wasn't like understood, you know, I feel like it's the last five or so years where it's like, you know, mental health has become a priority, you know, in a corporate setting. But back then it was, especially in ad world is work you to the bone and then some. So yeah, it was, it was tough. And so I, I, I ended up quitting a lot of jobs just because I couldn't handle it. From the pressure of upper management from the clients working on projects he didn't really care about and the constant struggle with his health, Sean finally snapped. It's a combination of the pressure that they, that they would put on, people producing the the visuals and then the 
I hated the structure of of the ad world too. Uh, it was that, and then every project that came across my desk was like, "This has to be the best thing I've ever created, ever." Even when it's a stupid banner ad for Butter Company or something, or, or you know, Seattle Seahawks or something, this has to be amazing. And a lot of it was, you know, some of that pressure is healthy pressure uh, that you put on yourself, but it's not sustainable, you know. So I I ended up just leaving, you know, no no notice leaving. Um, a lot of people were, were worried about me too. So how exactly did you quit? Yeah, at a certain point, I think I was working on something for Dairy Gold, which is like a dairy company up here. And it's just so stupid, man. It, and, and and I just left. I just walked out and I went home. And I think my supervisor, you could say, came over to my house. He's like, what's going on, man? He's good homie. Still is a good homie. Um, what's going on? He's like, I understand. I understand that this pressure is getting to you. And uh, like, yeah, I'm not. I'm done. You know, I, I might do some freelance stuff for you, but I can't, can't do that. It's, it's very dramatic. And I've done that multiple times too at different agencies. Uh, very dramatic exit. After leaving that job, Sean would start doing some freelance work. And while that has its pros and its cons, you still have to work closely with clients and sometimes on projects that you don't really enjoy. He would get a couple of other jobs at different companies as well, but nothing ever felt right. Sean just wasn't happy at this time, even outside of work. It was affecting everything. Yeah, I wasn't enjoying any, anything. You know, it was, it was there, there was little bits and pieces, but I was, I was partying way too hard. I was just hitting the extremes, you know, and uh, it was just not, not sustainable. So it was, I just kept freelancing and kept doing projects. Kept doing cool things. There's there's a couple of cool cool projects where I did it like a series of children's books. So I was able to illustrate a bunch of children's books. I actually really liked that. It was, it was really fun and low stress and and uh, and I think I think around that time it, I was actually doing something manually, like putting hand to paper, you know, and and figuring out that like oh I can I can produce this way and I can get off the computer and I kind of started. You know, maybe a little seed in my head, you know, still still relying on design to pay the bills, you know, but. It was these fun projects that would plant a seed in Sean that would lead him down the path to finding his passion again and starting to make art for the pure joy of making it. In Seattle here, we have we have an art walk. Uh, I think it's the first art walk in the country. Something like that. First Thursday or something. And I kept going to these things and I really enjoyed them. I wasn't seeing a ton of art that I that I loved, but I, I was seeing art up and exhibited. And a lot of times I'd be like, I, I I could do that. I could I could I could shift this whole, you know, compositional layout brain into producing things for myself. And doing this for no one else but me. And that was another, you know, huge hang up was like all this shit that I'm stressing about. I don't ever get to own. and It's not mine, you know. And so I, you know, I put my whole life into it. I almost kill myself over a project and it's on a billboard for, you know, three weeks and then it's gone. You know, that was brutal. 
So I think seeing art exhibited ended up being, you know, a little bit of a, I know that I could have a voice in this market. While he started to dabble into the paints, he finally found a job in the design world he truly cared about, and he was excited to be in it. No, I was still doing freelance graphic design. I, I ended up getting a job at uh, Patagonia down in uh, Ventura, California. Moved down there uh, to Santa Barbara. Patagonia is, you know, cult-like. It is, you know, like, it's uh, it, it, one of the best touted as one of the best, you know, corporate experiences or, or corporate lifestyles. You know, there's a daycare there and, you know, beautiful cafeteria and all this stuff. And, you know, you didn't really want to go home. It was, it was really nice. And so I moved down there in February of, or no, it was January of 2020. And I, and I really enjoyed it. I was liking graphic design again. It was, you know, just for, just for a brand. And not for a bunch of different brands, and they were really chill, and the timelines were chill, and everything I was putting forward was, you know, they loved, and and yeah, and then COVID hit, and I was like, you know, I I don't want to leave here. This has been really cool. Um, and yeah, I got laid off. While it sucks to be laid off, and it's scary to be stuck in such an uncertain situation, it's also probably one of the best things that could actually happen to him. So how did how did you feel when you got laid off? I was bummed. Yeah, I was bummed. I was, you know, that because that was finally I finally found a place that I liked working. You know, that I could do this design thing and wasn't going to kill me. Um, and I'd finally found that and a good group of people. And I mean, that time in everybody's life was confusing though, because you know we were like, we're going to come back to work in a month for sure. You know. And then, uh, you know, three months goes by and they're like, we, we can't have you on anymore. And, and so that decision was made for a lot of people, you know, to take a step back and say, what do I really value in my life? What do I really want to go for? What have I been putting off that I could, you know, potentially monetize, you know, in some people's cases, a lot of crafting went on. <laughs> a lot of people making macrame and a lot of Etsy. And uh, so for me, it was like, let's dig into this practice. And uh, so it was, I like those sort of situations where, where it's, I don't have to make that decision. It's made for me and it's me just kind of calibrating and adapting, just trying to be a boss in the, in the way that I do adapt. So that was, I was proud of myself. For, for kind of making that choice and taking that plunge. It was after he got laid off that he looked around his apartment and he saw these paintings and he knew that this was something that he should put all of his drive behind and just go full throttle. So, like most people did during the pandemic, he moved back home to live with his parents and used that time to paint. So I moved back home to Idaho. Must have been that June. So I wasn't there for too long. Yeah, I packed up my little Honda Civic and two surfboards and a, and a bike on top and everything I owned in a four-door Civic. And, and uh, yeah, Dude, I moved like three times in just a tiny 91 Civic. And uh, I missed that car, actually. I got like a big pickup truck now, but I missed that tiny Civic. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, then, so I moved back to Idaho. That must have been in June. It didn't feel like a retreat. Like a lot of people probably during COVID had to move home, you know, because they couldn't afford to be out of work uh, or on un- unemployment hadn't kicked in yet or, or whatever. So I went home, but it felt like a, it was exciting. It was a new opportunity and I, it was a good chance to kind of reconnect with that environment and reconnect with my parents too. And, you know, I, I, I set up a, a trailer, like a tent trailer, camping trailer down by the studio. And, you know, it was a good time to just breathe, you know, finally. Once he was there, his dad let him use the old shop as a studio, and as he got to work, it became very clear to him and even his parents that this art was going to be a very serious thing. Because, of course, Sean doesn't do anything half-assed. Did you have a plan, like, I want to get a solo show, I want to do galleries, or were you just like, I'm just painting, and then I'll figure something out, or were you trying to figure out a way you were going to market them and try to sell them, or any of that? Was that at all on your mind? I knew that I needed to make a body of work. I knew that I needed to at least be able to show somebody like 10 paintings, eight paintings, something like that, that all kind of responded to each other in the same vein. Uh, I had a couple of artists, like fine art friends that, that had, I was like, what what do I do? Like, how do I start this thing? Like, Oh, you, you, you're creative, so that's not a huge issue. And you're, you know, adept. And if you can figure out the medium, then do that there. Um, so for me, yeah, there's no plan, man. I was just like, I'm gonna come back to a city when I'm when I feel like I'm an artist. He finally made that body of work and had a vision of where he wanted his artwork to go and was figuring out his style. The next step was to try and grow, so he started to submit his work to as many open calls as he could, trying to get into group shows, competitions, whatever. Before then, I was like, okay, I I think I got to submit to like group shows. (laughs) It was just like crash course, and like so, I did a couple like, you know, digital group shows uh, for prizes. I like won some prize in like Marin County or something for one of my pieces, Um, and and I was. I got into this group show in Ventura, actually. Um, and I didn't know about shipping or all of that. So I was like, I'm just going to drive these paintings down there. I think I had like three or four paintings in my car. I'm driving down from, from Seattle. And uh, a friend of a friend got me in touch with these good mother kids. And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll toss some extra paintings in the car and see if, see if you like them. And at the time, their, their Oakland space was really tiny. And uh, so I stopped by Oakland and was like, do you want these? And you want to show them? And they're like, yeah, we'll give you a solo show if you want. Um, and that was kind of the first, like, yeah, it was the first time that, like, I'd, I'd seen all my work together um, and see kind of how it played off each other and saw, like, how the, you know, diptychs could work. Just the values of, of paintings next to each other could play off each other. A little spoiled, I think. Do you ever feel like moving back home affected your art in a meaningful way? Do you feel like that that was important, that if you hadn't moved back home, maybe the art wouldn't have become what it did? I, I don't think I would be you know, a fine artist if I hadn't gone back there, to be honest. I think I maybe, maybe would be 
dabbling in it or I would be doing some form of illustration work or something. But I wouldn't have gone that route if I didn't have that time and that solitude, you know, to, to focus on something. Um, and dude, I'm, I'm looking for it again. You know, I'm like kind of trying to get back to that. So that was, that's huge for me. Was going back there, and yeah, and it, and it really did. It 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 started to inform the work too, in, in subject matter and the the backwoods, the, the rural aspect of things, starts to shine through. And and instead of being, instead of avoiding it, I'm trying to tackle it. You know, and I'm trying to tame it. I think, and 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 so I don't think that would have happened if I didn't spend that time at home. Of course, it didn't happen overnight. It took a while. But because of Sean's crazy drive and the circumstances of the pandemic, he was able to get a great start to his art career with having his first solo exhibition only a year after the pandemic started. Sean is now back in Seattle and just got a full-time studio. He's painting full-time and he's enjoying it. Like, how do you feel every day waking up and it's like, I get to go paint what I want to paint and it's not some billboard for this company? It's good. I mean, it you can you can choose how you approach it like you can i'm i'm bad i'm bad at at handling stress still you know i will find a way to make something stressful so you know even though i'm finally doing exactly what i want to do there will still be a show that's next week and i need four paintings for it you know and and there will still be that that timeline and now that i'm the client you know, and I'm the boss and I'm the supervisor and I'm all this. I'm the, I'm the guy that has to ship it, pack it, ship it and, and deal with that. There's, there's other stressors now. Uh, but in general, dude, I haven't had the time to like sit back and realize how cool this is. You know, how cool it is that I can, that people want to even see this in general, but how cool it is that I'm doing this you know just like you know getting that that first show at good mother was like i don't even know how cool this is <laughs> yeah it's been wild but it is it, it does feel it feels good it feels good to, to have my own studio too and to and to go to work it's a lot of time i mean for the longest time i was just painting out of my apartment and that had full shows out of my apartment yeah even, even my my last big solo show in la uh produce most of that in my little apartment are you happier in life you would say now it's a good question um i feel i feel more pure about how i'm moving through life i would say um i think i'm still working on it every day about how to how to approach you know, painting in a, both a therapeutic way and, and a professional way. Um, but honestly, yeah, I mean, compared to where I was in design and the ad world, you know, it's so much better. And it is, yeah, I am happier. I'm much happier and calmer. And yeah, I'm just, you know, sometimes I'm not the best, you know, studio mate to Ariel, but. Um, you know, the work's not done. It's never done. I'm, you know, a lifelong learner, you know, and some of that is learning how to 
approach each day with less stress and less, you know, serious mind about it. And just with more love and gratitude and, and, uh, purity. So at least I got the career portion down. Now it's the practice of it that that needs to be. Yeah. There's one thing I want you to take away from this episode. It's to never give up. There's no straight path. Things will try and throw you off course, but you have to get back up and keep pushing forward. But while you are on that journey to your dreams, don't forget to slow down, breathe, and soak in the moment. Because if you don't let off the gas a little, you just might crash. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Minor Trope Podcast. I know this was a long episode, but I think all that I included needed to be here to create the full story. This podcast takes a ton of work, and I could use your help. If you would like to support me, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Real and support us for as little as $3 a month while getting tons of bonus content. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.